Mac Power Users, Episode 23, Workflows with Merlin Mann. Welcome back to a very special episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Are you excited, David? Sure. How are you doing, Katie? Yeah, this is um, this is a different type of show than we've done in the past. Usually we take uh, one topic and go in depth, but um, you know, a lot of the feedback that we're getting from people is, you know, our workflows are great, but there are so many other options out there that we can't explore just because there are only so many workflows two people can use. You know, the thing is. We've done, what, 22 episodes now, and we've done a great job of covering a lot of the important pieces of the Mac and how we use them. But it's great if you want to know how Katie and Dave do it. But I got thinking, you know, we should talk to some other people who are power users of the Mac and see how they go about using their Mac. And maybe they'll have some ideas that neither one of us thought about. So we'd like to introduce this series. It's going to be kind of a regular, probably every couple months or so, where we're going to find a an interesting Mac user and talk to them about their workflow. So this will hopefully be the first of several of these types of episodes. And I think most people will agree that there is no more geekier information management power user than Merlin Mann. Yeah, I have to admit, I'm a complete Merlin Mann devotee. I like to read his stuff he writes on the web. I think he's a brilliant guy. And this year at Macworld, he was giving a talk at the Omni booth. So I went and sat in the front row and uh, afterwards talked to him about it. He was really excited about coming on and talking about his workflow. So here we go. Let's bring Merlin Mann in and talk about workflows. Okay, so we've got Merlin Mann with us today. Thanks for joining, Merlin. Hey, thanks for having me. You know, uh, it's really a privilege to have you on the podcast. I'm a big fan of yours, and uh, thanks for putting up with me at Macworld as I was stalking you through the Omni booth. <laughs> why, why would you say something like that? We had a delightful time. Did I give you the impression that I thought you were a creep? Oh, not at all. You were very <laughs> gracious, but, you know, I, I know you were also real busy that yeah, day. Yeah, I, I have and, uh, a couple times I've seen you through the blinds outside the window. Um, if you turn around, that, that car in your driveway... Is David? Yeah. He's, he's broadcasting is from that the right? Wi-Fi. Yeah, and it's actually. I want to tell you, Katie. I was looking into your bathroom this morning, and I really like your hair like that. Oh, good. Thank you. I yeah, it's a good look. It's a good. It's a good look. Been having issues with it recently, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> no, it was fun, and that was yeah. I was in the booth at uh, at the Omni Group booth talking about Omni Focus, and uh, it's it's. I got to be honest. I mean, I, I it's unfortunate that I have a reputation for being so taciturn because uh, I I really dig meeting people you know it's when you sit you know what it's like you sit in front of a computer all day long and you know if you're lucky you see a couple of people during the day that aren't just the coffee people <laughs> and so it, to me it's a delight you know to make those connections with people i, I love macworld and especially at macworld because you know you're with the faithful there yeah and it's funny i have to always explain this to people why people are like uh, you know I, I personally i'm not the sort of um I'm not the partisan, quote-unquote, Mac fanboy that either, A, most people think I am, or B, that I used to be, in fact. But what I will tell you is that if you grew up with Macs, like I did, I started using him, I started using a Mac pretty much every day in 1987. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you, man, up until OS X, it was different times, my friend. Very, very different times. And so I think to that, to, the, to this day, a lot of the diehards remember feeling like almost like you're the Black Panthers, like meeting secretly in somebody's apartment, apartment in Oakland. Um, <laughs> that's probably a terrible metaphor, but they used to feel that way. Like, uh, you can't, sir, you can't print here. Uh, uh, that's not a real uh, computer. 
the footprint, that's a toy. The footprint for uh, uh, XP to print Max is, uh, you know. Well, you know, the thing about that is it's also kind of, there's a cultural fear that Mac users just kind of have. I've observed that they're always afraid that we're going to be back there somehow. And there's this fear <laughs> underlying so many things that they say, but that's a whole nother topic. You're right. Yeah. Well, you know, well, so Katie and I, depending on which listener you've been talking to, we've either been delighting them or torturing them <laughs> with all the different workflows we've been doing over these 20 some episodes. And uh, I got the idea, you know, why don't we bring in some other people that are, you know, uh, Mac users that have interesting uses for their computers and talk to them and kind of hear what they do. And, you know, without why don't we start with Merlin? So uh, the purpose of this episode is really just to kind of ask you, you know, what important work do you do on your Mac and how do you go about doing it? You, I got to tell you, my friends, you picked the right guy because uh, even as in as much as I don't sort of formally try to cover this stuff much anymore, it's still something I think about constantly. So I'm I'm thrilled that you asked me and uh, I looked over some of the ideas you talked about. I'm excited about all of it. So Ask away, and uh, I'm interested to hear and compare notes. The uh, I, I got to say, the one thing that never happened with 43 folders that I wish had happened was m- m- part of my vision was not to have a site where you go, you know, go use Emacs, or where you say like you have to use Illustrator. I've always liked the idea of saying, um, uh, yeah, here's something I've tried that works for me, or here's several things I've tried that kind of worked in different ways. I've always really liked the idea of saying like, here's who I think this might be good for, you know, where you make it about decision making rather than evangelism. Uh, so that's the approach that I try to take anyway, you know, is <laughs> if you're a nerd like me, this might work for you. Yeah, you know, and that's kind of what we've done with this podcast is the same thing. When we, for instance, did an episode on word processors, we got a lot of great feedback from users talking about how they did it. And we were able to share that back on follow-up episodes. And it's really been a pleasure for me doing this podcast because I've learned so much from other people as well as being able to share my thoughts. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I, I totally agree. And, and, you know, when you're around other nerds, you're always, in my case, like my friend, uh, Matt Halley, we're always like looking over each other's shoulder. Like, why'd you put your, bo- why'd you put your dock there? And like, why's your desktop so messy? You're like, you know, there's always this, this sort of like, not a co- competitive thing, but a like, wow, can I learn anything from this? Exactly. You know? Yeah. Maybe let's start with word processing. Um, I'm a big Scrivener nerd. I've, I've been for like two or three years. I think since, essentially since it came out, I immediately drank the Kool-Aid on that one. And I understand and, you're, you've written a book recently, so maybe you could talk to us a little bit about that workflow and what you... Yeah, I mean, I would change, I would change the, the verb just a little bit. I'm still writing a book, okay. but um, I think it's a fascinating topic, and it's... God, I mean, maybe like since the late 80s, I think there's never been a more interesting time for what you can do with words. Uh, for a variety of reasons. But uh, tell me more. What do you use Scrivener for? Do you use it for your for your legal kind of stuff? Yeah, I use it for the legal stuff. I have um, basically template files set up with things like jury instructions or wow. contracts. And so I've got resources in there. But I also, you know, whenever I do any um, legal writing, I, I collect all my research in the research tabs and uh, I do my outline in there. I really like the way when you run Scrivener, you can focus on the particular subjects of whatever you're writing and just exclusively cut everything else out. I mean, you get rid of all that noise. And I find that it, it really makes me a better writer. It's good for people who get so, distracted easily. Yeah, and which well, would be Well, kind me. of. I mean, I, in my opinion, there's really... This is not, this is, you know, owes nothing to, to, to the, the maker of Scrivener. But it's also, it can be a, an incredibly fiddly app. I mean, it's got to be it's it's got to be up there with things like Pathfinder for being like one of my favorite apps, giant amounts of potential, but also huge possibilities for fiddling. Um, and that's I have to say, sometimes I've got to get out of Scrivener just because I could. Oh, should I look at this as a corkboard? Should I look at this as an outline? You know, I, 
I think one way just to, to, to make it about the actual work uh, in one way is that for me – yeah, I, first of all, for people who don't know, the thing that's – there's several things that are just almost unique about about Scrivener. And one of them I think is that idea of the three-paned kind of approach or you know, at least two-paned. The, you know, the typical kind of Mac thing where you've got a list of things you select on the left and then that's f- whatever you've selected is what you see focal in the kind of view pane. And it's it's – it's kind of hard to explain without looking at it, but that, uh, that notion of like, I can view this as an outline. I can view this as a cork board with little index cards. Every, every, right? Every, and, and the other thing is there's no such thing really as what? Anything can be anything. You know, a section could be a sentence or a book or a chapter or an anything, and you can break that down into subgroups. But obviously, <laughs> anybody who's listening to this can see it's easy to go overboard. And, and it's why I end up in a text editor for at least for most first drafts. Well, and that's that's the, part of the constant struggle. I think is at some point you organize too much, or you're trying to be too productive, or you're trying to tweak too much, and you just don't get anything done. Well, I, I hate to go all Zen master, but at least something that I've discovered um, that works for me, and this is something I've read other people say as well, or heard other people say, is uh, I think one of the most effective things you can do is kind of oscillate between the two poles. I think if you just well, first of all, never just think. I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's two books that have been transformative for me in writing. Um, well, I, sh- I should say three. Um, writing Down the Bones by Natalie Goldberg, uh, A Writer's Coach by Jack Hart. And uh, this really anything that this guy Don Murray has ever written. It just completely Don, – Don Murray, he's got to be one of the most in, you know, influential coaches of writing ever. And he says writing is really a process of looking back and forth, ba- backward and forward at the same time. It's not one iteration, right? Everybody thinks of like, oh, you have a first draft, a second draft. No, you know, you're constantly redrafting. And, and the part where my writing started to change recently is when I realized that you can't just think. Really? I mean, you can't really th- – thinking doesn't do anything. It's the typing. And that sounds counterintuitive, but I think what you can do, the outlining is what gives you the courage to write. But it's the writing habitually that gives you the courage to keep writing. So my problem is if I'm not careful, I'll sit there and just outline all day long. But outlining is not writing. Thinking is not writing. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and, and I think at a certain point, I, you have to be careful about are you spending enough time making paragraphs? Um, to me, the paragraphs are really the not the atomic unit, but at least the molecular unit of writing. Um, and then sometimes you do need to pull back because you need to have that confidence that you've got the big picture. But and that I think is where Scrivener just the ability to move stuff around is unbeatable in Scrivener. Yeah. Also for Scrivener, for me, um, I find it liberating that I can start from the inside out. Uh, when I write things, a lot of times, uh, for instance, when I write a legal brief, the very last thing I write is the introduction. Absolutely. You know. So uh, when I do a brief, I lay it out in Scrivener, and uh, so whether I've got the corkboard or the outline on the side, mm-hmm. I usually start right in the middle of the guts because I start doing the research and I start writing the. The key points right in the middle first. Well, David, you just nailed. I mean, this is something that every good book on writing says, and like hardly anybody ever remembers, which is you never start with the start, and you don't start with the end. You start with where you can start, and and I think that is that that is what when in, when people are trying to make the leap into being, if you like, more creative. And I, I think that's kind of a weak way to put it. If you want to be per, like. Uh, if you want to be repeatedly making stuff, sorry, there's a streetcar outside. If you want to be repeatedly making stuff, you're going to have to get in the habit of tolerating a large amount of, of kind of chaos. I think you know what I'm saying. So you start with whatever you want to say. You start with a word or a sentence, and it builds out in kind of concentric circles from that. And God, if there's any tip that I could give to anybody who wishes they wrote more, it's start writing with where you are right now, not with where you think you should be. Yeah, just get something on the paper. Right, and, and yeah, totally. Okay. And, and and that's the thing about Scrivener, though. In fairness, is you can start. Did you guys ever like? Have you done much with wikis in the past? 
I, I used to be a big wiki guy and, and your tendency is to like go make pages, right? Cause it's fun to make pages, but every successful small wiki I've made, I made it one page until it broke until it really, really needed a second page, yeah. <laughs> which is counterintuitive for a wiki, but otherwise you end up with a, you end up so broad and, and so shallow. And I think that's what happens with outlining too. If you just outline. Yeah, that makes sense. So now, how do you use, use TextMate as your text editor? Well, this is where I think is so interesting. I mean, there's one there's one piece of um, what interstitial tissue to all of this. Um, so, so my pal John Gruber a few years ago wrote this thing called Markdown, which is a basically a you guys are probably familiar with this. It's it's a Perl script that is it's with a language. And it's a script. It's several things in one, but at the heart of it, it he takes a subset of HTML, the, like the most common stuff you would use in HTML, like you know H1, H2, yeah. um, and basically it makes it very. I'm sure you've used this. It makes it very easy to write and read something that can be easily transformed into HTML. It's still semantic, like you know things mean things, um, but I, I I write everything in Markdown, and, and further to that point, I write everything in. <laughs> Something John doesn't like much, but I love called multi markdown, which I'm sure you've seen in Scrivener. Yeah, multi markdown is something this guy Fletcher Penny did to extend markdown to add things like seemingly fiddly things, but actually really useful things like um, what like glossaries and footnotes and uh, kind of ad hoc references. But th- what he really added to it is his, what I perceive to be his obsession with XSLT transformations. So, which is a fancy way of saying it's basically like a, a way of taking a piece of text and turning it into almost anything. So I use to me multi markdown becomes the lingua franca. So I can write something, and he, you know, of course now Fletcher's written these amazing scripts. I can round trip now between um, on the outliner and TextMate and Scrivener, like semantically round trip between those apps because of Markdown. Markdown becomes like you export as mark, multi markdown, and it'll work with almost anything. Um, and I think that's an interesting way to think about your writing too, because it really does encourage you to think about like what level of the book is it that I'm writing right now. And so that lets me easily move. Um, more often I move into Scrivener. I don't often move out of Scrivener except to, to like print a draft. You know what I mean? Yeah. It starts in TextMate. If I, if I'm getting hung up and I really, I, I even outline in Markdown because in Markdown, basically asterisk space string is a bullet. And then you yeah. can nest them, and you get if you're in TextMate because of the bundles. There's you know syntax highlighting, and it knows that when you tab, that's actually a sub bullet. I'm so fast at outlining now in Mark, Markdown that um, I tend to use Omni Outliner more off, which I love for more complicated stuff. But anyway, my point being that like I love the idea that I can write in anything I want now and transform it. Um, I do have to be honest, and I hate to sound like a part of artisan. I really avoid Microsoft Word like the plague <laughs> be, for any variety of reasons. I think the application is one of the most embarrassing things that I, I hate to say that because I'm pals with some of the guys that make it. But I look at Microsoft Word. Uh, I look at Microsoft Word even as far back as 5.1, and the release of Microsoft Word from 1992. I kept using until computers wouldn't run it anymore because have everything ever- from six on was so bad. Yeah. Have you ever heard the saying that a camel is a horse designed by a committee? <laughs> they they do the opposite of what I love in a good Mac app, which is, uh, you know, whether it's web design or Mac apps, I love that Jeff Veen or, you know, kind of John Gruber approach of like taking everything off the table except what, exactly what needs to be there. It's why I love Acorn. It's why I love Clipstart. It's, it's why I love all of these apps. It's why I love TextMate. TextMate, you have exactly as much functionality as you need right that second. 
<laughs> I look at Microsoft Word and it looks like a freaking video game. I'm like, who uses this stuff? Yeah. There's not a single thing that I can think of in my, apart from saving as HTML. There is nothing in, which I hate doing in Word. There's not a single thing in, in Microsoft Word that, that wasn't in that, that didn't, that I use that wasn't in there when I wrote my thesis in 1991. Well, it's right. funny because in my business, you know, WordPerfect was the end-all, be-all for so long. Is that DOS? You, you run DOS? <laughs> yeah. I mean, people were running WordPerfect years. People are still trying to run it today. Isn't yeah. there an open source? Didn't somebody make an open source clone? That and Agenda, Lotus Agenda, it's the two apps that people just refuse to let go of. Yeah. Well, and then finally, the, the legal industry got switched over to Microsoft Word, and now they're, they've got the death grip on that, which is, is tough for me because I'm like you. I really don't care for it very much. Every iteration, but, every iteration they yeah. try harder to lock you in. Yeah. Right now, yeah. they got that doc, doc X format yeah. or whatever. Yeah, you know, and Jeff Veen, my pal Jeff Veen, who who used to be at Adaptive Path and was at Google, he had a policy for a while, which is if he couldn't open it, he was in a position of power where he could do this. If you send him a document that he couldn't open and text edit, he sent it back to you, yeah, and nice. said and said no. And it's just like you know, there's no why 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 is there a macro in this? What what why do I need a macro to read this document? They send it to me as a PDF. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry well, I interrupted you, but so you in your rackets, you know, I, I call Microsoft Word the app that everybody buys because of lawyers and clients. My my accountant, my lawyer, <laughs> no and my client are the only people who use Microsoft. I don't know a single person that starts anything in Microsoft Word. Except Anil well, Dash. I think Anil likes Microsoft Word. Well, I think also in education it's a big market because you gotta you gotta submit it to the teacher and they want correct changes or um, I'm well, we in law you gotta college. have those deltas, you gotta have the revisions. That's huge. Right. But you know, yeah, doesn't but, Bean doesn't Bean do that? Can, can well, Bean, Bean does most of that, right? Pages does a really good job of change tracking that. Well it does now. And and you can export mm-hmm. from pages into a a doc format, but uh, it's, it's funny. I, I keep using these apps wrong. I, 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 not to change topics, but like my first, the first app that I got anything near mastery on, apart from Talking Moose, it's like Talking Moose right now and Aldous PageMaker. The whole reason I learned to use a Mac was because of Aldous PageMaker, which is still like one of the most mind blowing apps. It's a desktop publishing app where everything's like a window shade that you pull down and you move text around, and I, it was so powerful. Um, but you know what's funny? Now, like if I have to do anything in drawing, 10 years ago, I would have opened Illustrator. Uh, if I have to do anything with, you know, bitmaps, I, 10 years ago, I would have opened up Photoshop and so on. Today, if I have to draw anything, I open OmniGraffle. <laughs> if I have to write anything, I open TextMate. If I have to write something that's got to look pretty, I do uh, pages. And if I want to lay something out, like a newsletter kind of thing, you're damn right I open pages. It's mind-blowingly easy and beautiful <laughs> to do page layout in, in this word processing program. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, and you know, that kind of gets back to a theme that, that you've written a lot about, and I totally agree with is, you know, don't let the process get in the way of the work. I mean, yeah, uh, it's really easy on the Mac to do a lot of these things without having to go into the app that's going to take hours and hours and learning curves you're, and macros. You're so, you're so right. And I'm trying to get a little more subtlety to this argument, but I, I'm starting to, I don't know if this is a distinction without a difference. I'm trying to slightly differentiate between systems and processes. I, I know there's probably no difference, but I'm trying to get my head around it because there's a part of me that thinks processes are incredibly important and systems can be important. And um, what's the distinction? I mean, I think about the writing process. And, and I have to admit, in the past, I've used these words interchangeably. But when I think about the process of writing, boy, that's really important um, because a process can mature and a process is a way of basically building a habit. 
right? And I have this post actually I'm working on for 43 folders. The problem with habits is it's like that Seinfeld sketch or the Seinfeld bit with like, with like the car reservations. Remember he goes to yeah. pick up his car and he's like, you're good at, you're good at, uh, you're good at making the reservation, but you're not good at holding the reservation. And that's the problem with habits and, and processes and systems. People have more fun making these than doing them. And I worry that, pro- that processes get lost because of systems. Like, oh, I got to get this new system for my index cards, or I got to get this new system to implement getting things done. I'm curious, what what do you think of that? Because your job, you don't have time to think about this crap. With lawyers, like stuff changes in a day and you've got to go chase, you know, depositions or something. Yeah, it's a constant battle for me because uh, I, that is my crutch, really, systems. I like going through and figuring out workflows and how to do this stuff. And you know, that's my crack, you know, rather than doing work, I'll catch myself doing that frequently. And that's something we talk about on this it's podcast. Easy to quite get, a bit. You, the thing is that that's what, where the hook, I, I, the way I phrase it is it's where the hook gets in. And, and, and to me, this is, this is, it's, you can call it procrastination. Sometimes procrastination is your brain trying to tell you something, right? And, and in your case, that might be that there's something that's a blocking task. I mean, I don't want to speak for you. You're smarter than I am about this stuff, but it could be a blocking task. It could be something you, you, you haven't realized that you don't really need to do. Do you know what I mean? David Allen talks about this and getting things done that a lot of times that when we find ourselves casting about and thinking about whether we should get a different, you know, should we get five tab folders instead of three tab folders? Well, you know what? Uh, nobody cares. Go do your work. Right. Well, that's actually, why yeah. are you, why are you not doing your work? What, what is it? What is it you're going to make differently when you get five tab folders? And if you upset and people hate when I say that. Like, what are you going to do differently with iPhone 4? What are you going to do differently with that notebook? What can you not do today, right this second, that that's going to do for you? Because if you, most people, if you look back, you're going to see a legacy of a lot of toys that you tried and abandoned and your work's still not done. Agreed. Yeah, that's probably a good transition because um, I know we could just talk forever um, on the I could just talk topics. forever. Yeah. I apologize. I but, apologize. Um, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about it. You know, I know you're big into getting things done. I know you've worked with Omni and, the, and those folks on, on OmniFocus, and I'm, I'm not sure to what extent, you know, you've played around with Cultured Code's um, Things application. But that mm-hmm. seems to be a very popular topic um, for people because everybody feels like, okay, the newest thing is we've got to get some kind of system for getting things done. So I'm going to get everything organized into the system and then I'm going to be really productive. And that can certainly be helpful, you know, to have a starting point, but you know, at some point it can be too immersive. So uh, can you kind of talk a little bit about your task management workflow? Absolutely. I mean, I should start just because of my perceived, uh, you know, expertise or whatever, or, you know, what I've talked about in the past, the, the, the most important thing I think in all of this stuff, and, you know, I, I say this over and over, and I, I know it still falls on deaf ears, including mine, is that the storing tasks, even if you think about that for half a second, to the extent possible, you should never have to store a task. Um, and I can go into a variety of reasons why that is. I mean, you know, if, in one thing I like, and I, I'm not really so much of a, I'm not the ardent getting things done user that I was a few years ago, but I, there's parts of it I still really rely on. Mostly, mostly ways of thinking and seeing rather than I don't do weekly reviews and stuff like that. Um, but, but here's the thing. It's not a rabbit hutch. Like it's not a pet goldfish. You know, if you have, you know, I mean, for myself, yeah, I do, I do use OmniFocus and I work with those guys. Um, I use it because it's, it's a, I think of it as a dashboard for the next two weeks of verbs in my life. And, and th- that's not just, that's not peculiar to OmniFocus. I think that's a healthy way to think about whatever it is you're doing. I mean, step zero, guys, are you going to do this thing 
You know, to me, a task manager or a task list or a task anything is a series of contracts with yourself. And people think that sounds fancy, but if you've got anything on there that's been there for more than a week or two, like, why is it there? Are you going to do it? Does it belong there? Your task list is not a place to think out loud. It's a place to only have to think once, make a decision, and then visualize exactly what you would need to do in order to do that. So to me, before you talk about, you know, you know, things versus omnifocus, I mean, that to me, that's a little bit like arguing about hammers, you know, because, you know, it's, it's the craft of what you make with the hammer that's important. Um, I'd be happy to talk about like who I think each is kind of good for, sure. but no matter what you do, you know, the truth is I, you know, Omni group will be the first one to tell you OmniFocus is not for everybody. It's absolutely not. I think it's a little bit, I think it gets, I think it sometimes gets a bad rap for being too like complicated and not like, doesn't look like, you know, <laughs> it's not as like fun to use. <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? There's some of these apps that are really, I think, just designed to sell rather than use, just to be brutally honest. Um, and OmniFocus is made by people who have thought a lot about this process. And there's hooks inside of, I'm, I don't want to pimp this, but um, whatever you do, really, just think about, like, you almost want to think of those tasks not as an enemy precisely, but do think of them as like ducks that you want to shoot rather than raise. Um, and then get that stuff done. That is about you want to clear that list and avoid all that priority stuff. Priority this, priority that. Priority is your brain telling you that you're either never going to do this or there's some reason that you haven't already done it. So, um, I, I, yeah, go ahead. I was, I'm, I'm talking too much, but I, I'd be happy to talk about like who I think what's good for anyway. Well, the way I use OmniFocus is a little different. I, I think I follow more of the getting things done mentality. I do the weekly reviews in it. And I do have tasks that I may not need for another month or two. Sometimes I have it like in litigation. Oops. I'm sorry about that. I hit the wrong button. No. And lit- for instance, I have litigation cases where I need to invoke an expert witness discovery plan in three months. So that'll go into OmniFocus with a start date in three right. months and I won't see right. it and it's out of mind. So I really use it probably more the traditional way, but the thing I, I put, I'm sorry, I, I should, I should explain David. I, I apologize. I put that poorly. It's not, it's not that there shouldn't be stuff in there that you're not going to do in two weeks. There shouldn't be any, to me, there should not be any, let me put it this way. If you're going to get into the, the, the parlance and the nomenclature, there should not be a next action in there that you haven't done in the last two weeks. If you sort, and this is why I think perspectives is so powerful in OmniFocus. If you sort by added, date added or last reviewed or however you think about it. And you see a task that's been in there for five months. You really got to ask yourself whether this is a task list or an attic. Oh, I totally agree. And you know, that's for me, that's the weekly review. When you see that and say, Hey, that's been showing up a long time. And you're realistic with yourself. I haven't done it yet. It's not going to happen. And it goes away. Uh, but, uh, I find it really useful, but the trick I found with OmniFocus is, uh, that's the, that's the application that can get me into trouble. If I want to spend all day, you know, perfecting my lists and going through it, I can do that. And that's, that's my weakness. So I always give myself kind of a diet of say, you know, I wake up in the morning, I maybe spend a half hour in it and I go through a perspective that I've created that just shows tasks for today. I quickly go through it and, you know, using the key combos, you can move start dates out mm-hmm. if something's not going to mm-hmm. happen. And then I sync it to my iPhone and I'm done with it until the evening. And then I come back in the evening and I do another kind of audit to see what happened that day. And that works really well for me. But that's something I don't want to keep open on my desk all day or I may not get anything done. I, I, you, you, when you told me that, I almost kissed you. When you told me that at Macworld, I was like, that to me is wh- why they designed the app the way they did. Um, and I, I have to say what you're describing. I, I'm curious to hear what Katie uh, does as well. The um, The... The trouble is, all of these apps, I think email should, should be the same way. 
boy, people disagree with me on yeah, that. I, I think that. you should, you should. Not yeah, that I disagree, I, well, just that I, I'm, I am no, an addict no, no. and I need help. Well, no, no. I, it's, you know what it is though? Every single thing we're talking about, there's no correct answer. The, the only correct answer is like, are you getting the results that you'd like to get? If you're not getting those results, then it is worth looking at the system. Um, but my, my, my thing is like, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of some analogy for this, but if you leave your task manager open all day long, um, I mean, that is to say, if you're like making additions that aren't just capturing to an inbox, you're, you're not really working. I mean, you're doing one piece of your work, but it's like, you know, if, if all you ever did was like clean one room of your house, like you wouldn't be very happy. And you'd be even less happy if all you did was organize your cleaning supplies. And, and to me, if you leave email open all day long, you're basically saying that, that anything that anybody in the universe Anytime something occurs to anybody in the universe, that necessarily becomes more important than whatever I'm doing right now. Um, and I think that for myself, that's a really unhealthy habit. And, uh, and it also gets you out of the processing habit, which is so critical to any kind of a good workflow is, is the touch at once kind of idea. But, um, I think that's a great, what you're describing, David, is a great practice though. And I, and it, the, other, the last thing with the email stuff is I say to people, you know, if your email was down, you remember when Gmail went down and everybody like it was having kittens cause they couldn't get to their Gmail. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> it was hilarious. And I, I, you know, I, I use it as a, hopefully like I, you know, teed a lot of people off, but it's like, well, you know, if you don't know what your work is without looking at email, you need to really think about that. You need to really think about that. If you're using your inbox as a task list or a calendar, uh, or you're using it basically as some kind of like a, where you hit the bar and a pellet pops out, like you need to ask yourself what you do for a living. Cause on a certain level, you're not a lawyer anymore at that point. You're somebody who checks email for a living. And, and, you know, gosh, are your clients really getting the best out of you? Are you really making good stuff if all you're doing is just checking a box all day? Yeah, I, I told a funny story once. I had a case, um, with one of these attorneys who wanted to email, he wanted to use it as a telephone. Instead of an email. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's and, we have that issue in our office. People people want to use the email as an IM instead of. Email. Remind me what kind of work you do. Katie? I am also an attorney. Oh, really? What kind of law do you? Um, do? I do different types of practice, uh, primarily uh, small business, you know, real estate, general litigation, and contracts work. So, kind of so- somewhat okay. similar, I guess, to what David does. You got a lot of ducks to keep in a row, though, with that stuff. I mean, you all, you guys, uh, both of you guys got, you got dates to hit. You got documents that you can't misplace. You've got, boy, talk about having to like know on the day something's due. My gosh, if you forget somebody's incorporation papers or something, right? Yeah, it's a problem. But that's why yeah. OmniFocus is so great for me because well, yeah. I very selectively use due dates. I don't use due dates except maybe, you know, two or three percent of my entries. And so when a due date shows up, it's truly a due date. When you guys, you guys just brought up something that I think is, boy, if there's any practice that a team could, could implement, uh, and you, you could do this, well, if you want to talk tools, you could do this in any app. But boy, what's what David Allen calls agendas. And, and, uh, just for those folks who, who aren't familiar with that, the idea in getting things done is that, you know, you have these things called context, which is just an idea of an opportunity or a limitation that's, that's sort of unique. If it's not really unique, it might not be a context. So like a, a phone call, like, oh, well, I can only make a phone call if I've got a phone, right? Like online, I can only do that if I've, and so on. But I think one of those is agenda where you say, I can't really talk to my wife if she's not here <laughs> unless I'm crazy. But that doesn't mean that I shouldn't capture it just because she's not here. A lot of us think, oh, what is it I wanted to tell you? Well, one way to stop using email as a telephone, one way to stop using the telephone as a telephone is to use that agenda list. And gosh, think about how many meetings we could do away with if we each kept the equivalent of like a, a piece of a legal pad and just wrote down all of the non 
crit, non-mission critical stuff that I could gang up until I have five or ten to talk to you about. I think that would change the workplace if we started, if we stopped being children about asking people to cut our steak every time it occurs to us and let a couple things accumulate and then walk over the, to their desk like an adult and say, you know, do you have a minute to talk about these things? Yeah, I, I have a sickness because I've already gone there. Yeah, the problem is, is yeah. you have to train the people around you, and, and sometimes they're not so receptive to those types of ideas. The team's got to agree, and you know what? That culture flows downhill. It's so funny. I, I make that joke about, uh, you know, basically sometimes in an office when people say, oh, we got to get everybody productive, and it, it's like a morbidly obese man, like suddenly announcing that everybody else has to run a marathon. You know, if, if the culture, people are going to look to the leaders to do this, and if you say these bromides about how people are empowered to define their own job and da 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 well like okay well what if your half half your staff came to you and said they don't want to check email in in the morning like what would you do are they empowered to do that well no of course not okay well then what are they empowered to do because they're not idiots (laughs) they're smart people they just know that you're you're a tool and if you're not in email all day long they they think you're not working yeah, you know, though, I have to say, uh, I'm in a small firm, and uh, not everybody that I work with is uh, as interested in these topics as I am. But I've made a lot of changes just by doing it, you know? Oh, totally. Uh, you know, just You've got to start with you. It's first-person transitive. You know, I, in terms of email, I've trained everyone I deal with, including judges, that uh, when you send me an email, you know I'll be checking it once or twice a day, and you're not going to get an immediate response unless you happen to send it the moment I'm sitting at my computer checking email. I mean, I turned off the badges and sounds. I don't know when email comes in for me. Mm-hmm. But um, the same thing with the OmniFocus. I have context for my staff and for my family, and and we notice it down once every day or so, and I'll have a list. And, you know, when you start doing it, then they start making lists. And then they start understanding that they don't need to stop every minute in the email. And the people that I immediately work with, I think more of them have come to my side than stayed on the old side. I mean, it, it really does start to change the way things work. So you can affect a change. But you lead by you, – you are absolutely right. But it's – in my experience, this, and I'm talking about this in the book, it's just it's, – it's, nobody thinks their meetings suck, for example. It's always – you ever notice? It's always other people's meetings. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and well, somebody's making a bad meeting. I mean, are you sure you're not part of that problem? Like if other – like, oh, my meetings start late because other people's meetings starts late. And you're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are, do you, are you hearing what you're saying? Because <laughs> you know, the way you drive change is by first fixing yourself. And if you it, – really, it sounds, like a, it sounds like a cliche, but you've got to lead by example. When people say, well, how do I make everybody do getting things done? It's like you don't. It's like enforcing Judaism or, you know, or saying everybody's got to have red hair. It's like you could do that. You might even force people to do it. <laughs> they aren't going to like it yeah. and you're, they're not going to respect you. You know, David Allen himself will, will tell you, I mean, he doesn't make everybody do anything. You treat it as, as a clean IO, right? It's object oriented. The notion is that, that like if we trust each other and we think we're, we're like responsible adults, we just have to know that, that if we take care of our ins and outs, uh, if everybody takes care of their in and out, it's a black box. It doesn't matter what anybody else's system is. As long as you all agree, as long as you manage the expectation of when you can expect stuff. We're not talking much about Mac tools and I apologize. Um, but, but you could do that agenda stuff with anything. You know, I, as far as the email stuff, can I tell you what I'm loving is Mailplane. Okay. Did, did you mention that to me? No. Somebody, I, I hadn't looked at it in so long and now I'm a Gmail guy. And it, But the reason I mentioned it in this context is it's got a do not disturb button. Huh. Um, where it's like a, it's up in the menu bar. So basically Mailplane, uh, to way oversimplify it, is like a wrapper. It's an app 
that wraps Gmail with tons of Mac-centric functionality, though. Like, now Command-N means create a new email. It's almost like combining, like, Eudora and uh, Google or Google Mail, Gmail. Um, but but there's so many ways that that really supports, I think, healthy patterns. <laughs> and one of them is you hit a button. You don't even have to go in and, like, you know, go to preferences, right? Like, it's some kind of, oh, oh what a pain. I've got to go shut off notification. No, you just hit a thing. So do not disturb. And it doesn't tell you when there's new mail. Yeah, that's nice. You know, it's very interesting to see what's going on in the Mac space with mail applications. And, uh, you know, something's got to happen, man. Yeah. Mail, the mail.app is a travesty. Yeah. You know, I use it and I can get by with it. It, it doesn't seem to bother me so much. I know yeah, there's but a lot you, of people. Do you use mail tags and mail act on? Sure. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly. Like, if you have a stock mail setup, you open it up and you use mail.app the way that it's configured with nothing else, you're going to be a, in a world of pain. Yeah. It's you, there's it's just so much clicky click 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 stuff and it's all about like so many of the Apple consumer apps. I hate to say this, it's increasingly about thinking like Apple or buying Apple stuff. Yeah. It's it, and in Gmail, I'll tell you, man, if you go into Gmail and you learn those keys, if you learn JK and you learn left and right bracket, people don't even know this exists. And you learn E and X, the keyless, no meta key, just finger. You hit the keys. If you learn that. It's going to completely change your game. I'm going to have to look into Gmail at some point. I, you know, I've been using Mail, but I've got a pretty good. Do you know what system. I'm talking about with the key commands? Yeah, though? sure. Because I use I use um, Google's Reader, and I have all the key combinations. Exactly. It's like Pine. It's like using Pine yeah. or any of those old programs. J and K basically moves you between threads. Yeah. And there's no meta key. No, I'm saying if you don't have anything, if you're not inside of a text area, literally just hitting J and K moves you between threads. And then, um, and then what's amazing then is like left bracket and right bracket is archive and go to next. So you can be in reading the message and you just go right bracket, right bracket, right bracket, and it, it archives. And it's, it's basically designed for people who work at Google, who, who get 700 emails a day. And, uh, boy, I just, boy, if you can learn the key commands for any of your apps, but especially for the Google apps, it's a game changer. Now, I'm sure, like us, you probably have multiple personas um, that you deal with online and, and offline, and, and maybe not to the extent, but, you know, I have a personal, I have a work email, I have a, you know, an email for the sure. podcast and all of this. Um, and IMAP has really been a lifesaver in terms of managing those things and trying to filter it all into one. Isn't it funny? It's like you think about pop Ugh. and you're like, how did I ever live with one opportunity to get this email? Yeah. I mean, are, are, are you, and you'd lose it. You'd lose, you'd lose. You remember this? Like if you're, if your mailbox is, you just lose all of your email, like a year's worth of email would just go away. Yeah. Are, I've been there. Are, are you filtering? Are you funneling everything to the same place? I mean, cause it obviously, well, not cause yet. I don't think it makes sense to be checking, you know, like, 45 email accounts, you know, randomly. Uh, yeah. to- well, I, this is actually one thing that I loved about mail.app and didn't like, if memory serves entourage back when I was on entourage, did not do right. this. I did. I do like the fact that mail.app makes it relatively easy to say, show me all of my inboxes at once. I think for processing purposes, that can be really powerful. Well, except the iPhone doesn't uh, mail.app does, but the iPhone hasn't quite figured that out. Yeah, the iPhone, you know, boy, I, I love it more every day, but they're definitely, you're absolutely right. There definitely are trade-offs. Mail.app, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sure that I have friends that have worked on this, and I apologize, but Mail.app on the iPhone is embarrassing. It's to not have flagging in an application, that's like a car without a steering wheel. It's like, how can you not have flagging? Because here's what happens. So what's your use case? You open, you, you know, you're on the road. You're sitting there. You got two seconds before you go into the tunnel, right, for, with the train. And you open up, you check your email. And what do you do? You, do, you download all this stuff. Okay, now what are you going to do with it? Uh, market is unread. And look at it again back in the office. 
I mean, to me, it's great now that you know Omni uh, OmniFocus has recently added a bookmark that lets you send uh, web pages. But uh, gosh, to not have the way that I mean, I've got just really quickly in terms of process in Gmail. Um, I do use I have a, I have a flag called uh, Act colon Respond. So I have certain kinds of actions, and a lot of my email I just go through very quickly in the inbox, and I'll flag it. If I'm doing it well, the way this process works is I process it every time the email comes in. I process everything all the way, process all the way down. And if I'm doing it well twice a day, I then do stuff with it. I have this kind of like holding pen that at this point has way too much in it. I think that's a healthy habit, though. Um, that's the inbox zero idea: is that you touch the email once and make make a decision about it once, but then you've got to liberate it out of that inbox. Yeah. In the same way that you would pay your bills rather than and then store them in your mailbox at home. Yeah, I do the, a similar thing with mail.app. I have a folder called action and I go through the inbox. Either it gets into file, either I reply to it or it goes to action. But the trouble I have with on the phone is I can only reply from my mobile me address. I can't reply from my work address. So I don't send any replies from my phone from work. And- G- I mean, boy, at Gmail, all the Google apps are just lapping Apple. I mean, and, and, and not to be a fanboy here, but again, if you guys haven't looked at MailPlane, Wow, I mean, I'm buying it today. I've been using it for about a week and a half. And uh, one of the things it does is, it used to be that if I wanted to have, as you say, multiple personas, Katie, I've got a whole bunch of different email accounts. And I help my mom with her email account a lot, you know, doing different things. Um, there's a little drawer that flies out to the left that you can open up. In the, it's a one-window app if you want. It's mainly a one-window app. But, you know, just like any, any Mac app, a drawer flies out to the left, and you can have unlimited numbers of accounts. And... So I've got like seven Gmail accounts that I can look at, and they're all checking as often as I want them to. So I can get alerts for all of them. And now when I go up to my menu bar and right now and I go click on that little icon, it shows me the new mail in all of those accounts. So And I, all I have to do is click, right? All I have to do is click, and do, or actually double-click on one of those Gmail accounts, and it logs me in to that Gmail account, and I'm looking at that inbox. It's fantastic. And do you use Google Calendar as well? Yep. I, uh, I to me, like BusySync changed things for me, and now I use uh, BusyMac for a calendar app. Or BusyCal. B- BusyMac is – I'm sorry, BusyCal. Right. I, I, I just interviewed that guy, and I made the same mistake. Uh, BusyCal, on the face of it, let's be honest, it looks exactly like iCal. Ten minutes of using BusyCal, and you will never open iCal again. Thanks. It's the same guys, the same two guys that did Now Up to Date and Now Contact, which are two programs I loved in the, uh, in the nineties. Um, and it's outstanding. Uh, the, their base, I don't know what they're doing with XML. They got like four or five different databases that they're syncing up. If you do like Google calendar, like I do and dislike mobile me as much as I do, it's increasingly like, you know, the only thing that I really use mobile me for right now is I do sync my contacts, but my OmniFocus file is the only thing I use mobile me for. I use Dropbox. I live in Dropbox for file stuff iDisk to me was was such a travesty, such a disaster. Well, and something that had so much potential, and then just nothing. oh my god! They, they, I, I said this on MacBreak once. I mean, my prediction that I, I'm sorry to say I got dead wrong was that I thought they were going to turn. I thought Mobile Me was a sleeping giant, is what I called it. I thought Mobile Me is going to be their quote unquote. I hate this phrase, like their Google killer, because you know they've had such a, they've had a huge amount of lead time to do something with mobile me that competes with Google. Google now, like with a glancing blow, could put mobile me out of business. I mean, it's, it's, it's asinine. And from two or three years ago, they should have had cloud-based storage for everything that you own. Your home directory should have lived in a 256-bit cloud. And I, every time you buy something from iTunes, it goes in the cloud. 
right? And you basically, your home directory, the way I, it's the way I, it should have been the way I treat Dropbox now, which is that my home directory lives in the cloud. All of my, I've got five of my most important application, um, uh, one of my application, why am I having a brain fart library slash application support? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Oh my God, I'm 43 application support. Like five of my most important ones are symbolically linked to a Dropbox folder. So my TextMate bundles, my OmniFocus files, um, my, um, I'm trying to get MailPlane to do it, but now my three computers are always synced within seconds. And, you know, and, and then again, how many times has Apple like out of nowhere goes, Oh, do you want to fix later or replace these 50,000 contacts? I suddenly decided to change. Yeah, yeah no kill, kill me now. I hate it when I get that message. When iDisk, you know, the worst thing about iDisk is, is the problem with sync. When sync doesn't work, you are screwed because when sync breaks, especially on iDisk, you don't notice it. You might not notice it for three or four days. And now you've got three different versions of a file that you're going to have to sit there in, a, in the terminal in diff three and figure out what the differences are or run changes or whatever. Yeah, and the nuke and rebuild process is anything but easy. I mean, it's not, no, you know what? I, I have a bookmark. Actually, I finally printed this out. There's, I forget where I found it, but the actual, the total nuclear reset for mobile me is harrowing, which you've got to <laughs> do. You got to back everything up, turn everything off. And it's, it's really, it's incredibly Byzantine. You got to go back and have one master machine and start over and so, like, for example, when Apple announced – I'm sorry to rag on Apple, but this is a piece that they're just losing ground on. When they announced that they were going to have, like, the iWork services, and I was like, really? You're, like, going to do an enterprise version of the most broken cloud application of all time? That's, that's going to be great. I'm sure David's law firm and Katie's law firm are going to love having seven versions of a deposition. Yeah, and it really is a squandered lead because they're coming out with all these mobile devices now. And if they had that type of universal cloud storage in place, it would make the iPad uh, a much more better device. I mean, if you could just access everything by turning it on it's and logging prom- in. It's the it's the promise of Apple's products. Apple's products, if, if anybody, you know, anybody who's not one of these knee-jerk hate Apple people, if you take a step back and look at what they're doing, they want to become the hub for your digital lifestyle, which over time becomes increasingly your lifestyle. That's the pattern. The, the pattern is that they take a product that's, that seems commodified, by which I just mean that it seems like something nobody would ever want to put a lot of money into improving. Like, uh, who's going to make a better phone? Like, right, you know, your trio is going to get a little better every couple of years. That's a good thing but now it's like every phone is either an embarrassment or it's an iphone copy that's an embarrassment that's what they do and what they should have done all along is is figured out how to get great at becoming the hub for all of that and and you know what they should be like windows was in 1995 they should be the integrated everything works together thing you know like they do that a little bit right now right if i open up an app like oh my aperture photos are there like uh you know what i mean but uh, boy, I, I, there's hardly any Apple apps that I use at this point. I use Lightroom. I don't use Aperture. I use Lightroom for photos. I use anything but Mail.app for mail, primarily you know the Gmail and, and MailPlane. Uh, I don't use the Calendar app. I <laughs> I avoid all of it. What do they have for a newsreader? For a newsreader, they have a page you go to. It's like <laughs> you know a Google newsreader like buries them. So. It's frustrating. I, I would love for all that stuff to work together. And there, you know, I, I think so little about competition in business because I think it's usually a myth or a, you know, uh, an illusion. But they are really, they are, they are getting their ass handed to them right now by people like Google. And it's, it's a shame because they really should be taking care right. of it. 
One of the topics we've talked about is is what do you do with all these documents that don't fit into any particular category? What do you do with things that sure. aren't pictures? What do you think of things that aren't word files? You know, something that you you know, okay, this goes here, this goes here, but all these little snippets of information. And there are products out there um, like Evernote, which I use because it it does sync across the cloud and multiple computers, but it's it's not the perfect mm-hmm. solution. You know, there's Yojimbo, there there are other things. What do you do to manage all the miscellaneous stuff? You're identifying a huge problem for people. Um, and, and here's the thing. If, if you're, if you're really getting started with this stuff and you're seeing inbox zero for the first time or you're reading getting things done or you're seeing some of the stuff Gene has written, uh, you're getting that part of your problem right now is that you're mixing stuff together, right? I mean, the whole thrust of inbox zero to me is that you should never mix the unknown, the ambiguous, and the incomplete in the same place. Those are separate decisions that need to happen in different places. You know, uh, uh, you know, if you agree to meet somebody somewhere on the planet at a certain time, that should go on a calendar and so on. But if you get to that intermediate level where you figured all that stuff out, you're still not really sure where the stuff goes. Um, so first of all, I just want to say I think it's a huge problem for most people. And in terms of the fiddliness, I mean, this is where a lot of people never get unfiddled because they're constantly trying different things. Um, I like Evernote a lot. And I, I, I really like uh, a couple of folks I know there that work on it. Uh, it that, that didn't work so much for me. I, the, what people call these everything buckets. Uh, an everything bucket to me is a great idea provided you have an easy way to get it out when you need it. I think, uh, I think a, a terrible tendency with email and a terrible tendency with most kinds of stuff, to be honest, is people think more about organizing it than doing anything with it. So anyway, I'm just trying to frame this. So Evernote is good because I, Evernote is wonderful because it handles different kinds of stuff. It, to me, it's not very useful on the iPhone, and that's where it falls apart. Yojimbo, I have huge amounts of respect for Yojimbo, but no use for it. I mean, you know, I love those guys for their insistence on doing it one way. I love auteur, auteurship in, in software development. You know, I love stuff like, you know, the way Gus has built uh, Voodoo Pad. You know, he's like, well, here's what it's for. If you don't like it, go get something else. But Yojimbo to me is like, ooh. I, I, for me, it's all text files. Text files, text files, text files. Everything is a text file. Um, and if it's not a text file, that's an exception. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so for me, everything lives in a separate text file. And right now, as of today, right this minute, I used to have over really close to 2,000 text files, and I've pared it way down now to 669. I have 600, as, of the, as of this morning, I have 669 text files that are everything. And I have a little kind of a basic taxonomy for how I name them. And, uh, I mean, this is just me again. I'm, I'm getting out of the, <laughs> the general mode and into the what I do mode. And all that stuff uh, lives in uh, TextMate and Notational Velocity, which are, you know, I can use either one of those for what I want. And I sync them through SimpleNote. So basically, which is also it's a service and an app. So I've got everything synced in real time to my iPhone and all of my computers. And then Notational Velocity, if you want to talk about it, is has been a game-changing app for me. But they, and, and so why do I do this? Well, you know, part of the reason Notational Velocity is so great is it really encourages, encourages you to make tiny text files, that you can make text files with one line in them because it does incremental searching that's amazingly powerful. Right now, my problem with Evernote is it really became like the attic or the garage for me. I'd put stuff in there and then I'd never see it again. Oh, we got to tag it. Well, okay, well, now I got to go tag it. And instead, right now, I've gotten really good at naming things with a very, very light taxonomy. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll call it something like, and I kind of, I kind of swipe some of this off the Scrivener, um, forums. 
but that woman Amber V wrote up this great thing on on how she organizes her stuff. So I'll have something like what's an example, um, you know, work omnigroup com email so and so, and then a, de- a, a, a timestamp. I have a, I have a text expander. By the way, text expander, amazing. I, I have a ton of text expander shortcuts. So so my basic taxonomy is I name it with like what kind of thing it is, what it's for, the specific subject, a version if it's needed, and then a, a down to the second date stamp. You know, I do a similar thing, but I use, there's an app for the Mac called Hazel. And so if you use the mm-hmm. taxonomy consistently and you set up Hazel rules, uh, for instance, when I scan PDFs and whatnot, I can, I have a way for work and a case yes. and whatever. And Hazel will immediately, as soon as it sees the name, it'll grab it and drop it into a nested folder that I've set up. Or it'll, cr- I, I, you know what? I, I gotta tell you the truth. What you're just, I just read a post about this. Somebody wrote, I should link to this. Uh, the, basically see this guy who's like, you know what? I looked at all this stuff and you know what I use now? I, I, my file system. I wish I could remember the guy's name. I'll see if I can find it in, uh, <laughs> in notational velocity. But, uh, he basically said, you know what? I use the file system now. He's like, I've got a system, and it's, like, again, kind of based on this woman, Amber V, the thing that she talks about. And it, just so we, we know, it's Literature and Latte is the right. site that Scrivener is at. Yeah. And if you do a search on Amber V and, like, something, you'll find it. But the notion is, exactly, so so however you think about your work, those are folders. And then inside, it's a natural taxonomy. And Spotlight, as, as kind of weird as it is to use, we'll find all that stuff without tagging so quickly. Yeah. Especially text files. I got an email from a reader saying, you know, she's talking about using Yep, which is a great program to organize all your PDFs. And she was talking about all the various criteria she was using. And I wrote her back and I said, well, how often have you gone through and searched through all these keywords? And she says, you know, I really don't. So I said, then from your mouth, your mouth to God's ear. So don't do it then. Just don't, don't, you don't have to, you know, just because tags exist doesn't mean you have to use them all the time. Every time, every time I do the inbox zero talk and I say to people, you need, you need basically, you need, you need a folder called action and you need a folder called archive and you need the trash. And that's it. And people are like, are you kidding me? I would never find anything. I was like, what email program are you using that you can't find somebody's name by searching? What email program are you using that you could not create a smart folder that shows you stuff from the last month? Like if, if you can't find that, like you need a different program or a different job because that's insane. You meet these people who are like the joke I always make. It's like, Oh, you know, uh, 2010 winter, you know, March, yeah. <laughs> uh, a to J. And it's like, how, like you said, when is the last time that you use that to actually find something? Cause I always search and the problem with tags, tags are so tricky because there's some things we're tagging is, is irreplaceable for me. And I'll tell you mine. Um, uh, uh, pinboard, which is kind of a delicious replacement that I use, use pinboard.il. Is that right? Or pinboard.it? Pinboard it. I guess it's pinboard.it. Um, I swear, I was, tagging in that, fantastic, because now I can generate, you know, lists. Tagging in Clipstart, the video, um, cataloging program, super smart. But, you know, if you're just adding tags to add tags, because not everything's taggable, but, you know, <sighs> It, are you ever going to use that A and B when you do need to use it? Is your taxonomy smart enough <clears throat> that you really, that you will really will be able to find it? Or have you been so lax about doing it and never gone back and refactored it? Most people should refactor their tags down to about five or 10 tags in most cases. Yeah. And that's another thing I think where you can use tagging to avoid doing work. It's just becomes busy work. Ah, uh, it's like, it's like adding information to MP3s. Like I could spend all day just like finding Albemarle and then like, <laughs> differentiating, putting the correct year in for a compilation and stuff like, <sighs> it's, it's sad. It's so sad. <laughs> so, well, it's, it, I think we all have that problem. That's why it's good talking about it. And I, I like to share it with the listeners as well. 
So somewhat on a related topic, and I know we're kind of running out of time, so maybe we'll try to rapid fire. Uh, you guys are the ones with constraints. <laughs> I got I got nowhere to be. So so you can make this two episodes. As far yeah. As right. What do you do about the paper? Because the paper overwhelms me. It's a really good question. You know, I think um, when I was uh, working on a, a, a book I never finished with Danny O'Brien a few years ago, and he had a friend who had a really, really amazing system for how he dealt with it. Um, where basically, I mean, I think I've seen people do this. The mo- if you want to go totally paperless, well, first of all, you're crazy because there's no way to be paperless. But if you chose to, I mean, I've got a scan snap. Is that what it's called? One of those little Fujitsu yeah. scanners that I, I love. And actually, I gotta say, the last version of the, the latest version of the software is a huge improvement. It's gotten a lot better. Um, and that's what I do. I mean, if I've got stuff, I hate when people are like, oh, fill out this, you know, whatever, W9 and fax it to me. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, uh. <laughs> but on the other hand, there's not really a secure way. There's things I do with Dropbox that I wouldn't get into, but I've got some pretty sophisticated tricks for, you know, nonce naming and stuff to, to share things. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think, what you need to do is figure out this is this is a Malcolm Gladwell quote. Malcolm Gladwell did a really uh, wonderful review of that paperless office book a few years ago. And the way he summed it up that I think is brilliant, he said, it's not that we need to use less paper, it's that we need to keep less paper. And to me, that explains it all. So the question becomes, what paper do I really need to keep? And then if I do need to keep it, how do I put it somewhere where it's out of the way, but then also have a, a process by which I, I weed that out periodically? And so, you know, personally, when I tried to implement David Allen's system for using folders for reference, I gave up because it was just, I had like an entire file rack just full of stuff I never looked at. Um, and, and once you've had to deal with that once, I think you start going, you know, I don't need to keep this. So first of all, I mean, gosh, there's a million things you can do. Number one, try and get all your bills electronically or just pay them electronically, um, you know, I think some people are, are very resistant for good reasons to doing that because you want to see what's on the bill and stuff. But, I, you know, there's things you can do. I don't remember the name of the site. I signed up for a site that basically got me removed from all the junk mailing lists. Um, I open your mail over the recycling bin. In my garage, I've got a recycling bin and a shredder, and I, I, I open my mail over that. You know, I would never bring I would never bring garbage into my house. So, like, why would I bring a Safeway flyer upstairs? You know, and, and that stuff accretes, you know what I mean? It's like piles, you know how piles are, you, you have one, you set one thing down, as soon as you put a second thing on that, it's gone. It's, that, that, that's just going to be a magnet for junk now. Uh, so, so that's my process. I try and really minimize it as much as possible. I do, like Annie Lamott says, I think you should, she says, uh, you, you know, go donate, you know, to, uh, <laughs> to a green cause, but print lots of drafts, use lots of index cards. I, I use a lot of that for, for cognitive reasons. I use it more for capture. Um, but what do you do? I mean, in law, you, you can't get rid of paper. I mean, like when you get, I used to work in, in, in support for uh, tort, tort litigation support firm. Um, and, and we used to get just boxes and boxes and boxes of things like that. What do you guys do for stuff like that? Do you get it electronically? Yeah, you know, to some degree. A, a lot of my stuff has gone paperless. I mean, my secretary scans all of the correspondence that comes into me. Actually, she scans the stuff I give back to her. I, I make OCR, the OCR, like o- OCR scans? Yeah, well, I, I make the initial pass when it comes in, and, and like junk mail, you get legal junk mail too. So a lot of this stuff goes in the <laughs> trash can. And, uh, so, but the stuff that's important gets handed back to her, and she scans it and then puts the hard copy in the file. I never see it again. And then once again, I've got Hazel to the rescue because, you know, I've got set up, you know, uh, taxonomy for how the documents are named. So as soon as they mm-hmm. land, on my Mac or on the network, the Hazel script 
you know, puts them where they belong. H- have you talked about Hazel on the show before? Do people know what that yeah, is? Yeah, we've talked about it. We'll probably do a, a, an episode on it at some point. Oh, it's, 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 um, it's amazing because in, in the way that like, if you, like, to me, I like, I like the idea of automator. I like the idea of Yahoo pipes, but all of these things, like, it's like, oh God, I'm going to have to learn a whole thing. I like using it, but I don't like making it. And what I love about Hazel is it's, if you know how to use, if you can do, if you can do a smart playlist in iTunes, you can use Hazel. Because it really is, you're just snapping little blocks together and, you know, like I, I do, I do this for all kinds of things. Well, I'll tell you one thing that I do is I have, I have a, you know, I'll do things like if I have to send somebody something that's like kind of sensitive, um, I'll put it in a folder somewhere that's accessible on, on the web. And then, uh, I'll have, it's usually zipped or it's in a DMG with a password. And then what I'll do is I'll name it a completely nonce, you know, like a crazy, like a 23 character random name. But then what I do is I have Hazel watch that directory which also has a nonce name and it uh, changes periodically. And basically Hazel watches that and says, if this, if, if any document in here, in here hasn't been modified in the last N days, um, move it over back to my drive and delete it. Yeah. It's, it, but you think about that for a second. Like it's, it's so cool. It's got like, it automatically self destructs. And, uh, I do all kinds of things where I say like, watch a folder. And if this hasn't happened in so long, do this. I clean up my downloads folder that way. Absolutely. I, I, uh, one of the things I do with Hazel is I copy all my DMG files over to an external drive. So I've got a copy of them if I need to reinstall. Oh, something. like if you download software or something, it becomes almost like receipts. Yeah. And, um, with, oh, that's a neat idea. So just, huh. and it does it 24 hours after download. Cause usually you, when you first download it, at some point you're going to install it. So you don't want it to disappear before sure. you, you process it. But then 24 hours later, it's gone. And it, you know, I, I use Hazel for, I'm, I'm kind of nuts about it. In fact, you should, you should definitely, you should write this up yeah. also. That's that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And here's a funny thing. Like, so remember we were talking a minute ago about the people who are like, oh, I got to file everything and taxonomy and blah, 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 blah. I mean, a lot of what I try to counsel people on is to like, well, even if you're not ready to be perfect yet, even if you're not ready to kind of let go of some kind of an anxiety you, you've got, like, let's say you're like that, that lady at the office who's like, has to know where everything is and you've got a system that you don't want disrupted. Well, you know, Hazel will let you do some neat stuff. Like, for example, you know, oh, I, I can't throw away all the stuff on my desktop. In my case, like I use the desktop to just throw everything. But you know what I do is I just say, watch the desktop. And if any item here has not been, uh, modified in however long, just move it into this old items folder. And that sounds so dumb and so simple, but like, if I go look at that folder, I realize how much of that stuff I never needed to have, but I didn't risk anything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. I mean, one reason you get to, you become like, I talked about this when we, when we met, like the sticky note guy, like the person who's always putting sticky notes on everything. Well, that's, that's a sign of fear. Sticky notes equals fear because that's somebody who doesn't trust their system enough or their process, if you like, that, that they can walk away and know that they'll see it again. And I think that's the fear that drives something like keeping everything on your desktop. But Hazel can watch that for you and you're not really throwing it away. But it's doing a little bit of housekeeping for you, and yet again, spotlight. Just go find it wherever you know. It's it's why I have one one folder called archive in in in, in Gmail, and then I occasionally use labels. I have, uh, for example, in Gmail, I have one uh, filter that looks for words that indicate it's either like a software license or a receipt or anything like that, and it automatically tags it. So, I mean, to me, I'm not saying don't. I guess what I'm saying is uh, don't. I'm not saying don't use tags. I'm saying to the extent possible, use the semantic data that already exists in every file in the world. 
to do a lot of that heavy lifting for you. And what, yeah, are I mean, you, what are you using to pull out some of that data? I mean, obviously the PDFs or things like that, they're not all OCR, you know, right off the bat. Do you throw them into some kind of RCR, OCR process or? I used to, I used to use, I think it's called Read Iris. Um, but read eyes, I mean, like for me, I, it's one of those things where I almost want a rabbi to come in and do it for me. Like I, I don't have time to figure all that out and tune it and all that stuff. The truth is I, I don't, what I do is I name in the way that I, and this is, this actually should be a different show too, cause it's a fascinating topic is how you name files. Um, because that really will change how you work if you name files well. Um, you know, cause again, you can do, do terminal stuff. You can grep for things now where you don't have to rely on spotlight. You could be on Linux or wherever and, and find it. Um, so I try to, I, one thing I really rely on is, is, a, is this one date stamp. Um, and so in text expander, I've created, when I type F D A T E, F date, it makes a finder compatible date that, for example, it says, this is going to be hard if you don't have this in front of you. Like when we started, when we started talking, I, I created a file called two, 2010, dash oh three dash oh four underscore oh nine dash oh four dash three six and i can look at that and instantly see that it, at 904 a.m on march 4th this document was created and i don't have to rely on modification dates which can be dicey because for any variety of reasons do, do you follow though like yeah. i use a, i use a date stamp on everything and that's greppable with regular expressions or whatever i can find i can I always find documents that were created even if the modification dates got messed up or created dates I can always find uh, any text file that was created on this day. And those leading zeros are important because then it's very easy to organize it as well. Exactly. Well, that's why some people put the date first. I don't because, I mean, I'm, I'm facile or I'm easy. I'm experienced enough with search technologies and a little bit of regular expressions to find whatever I need. Um, but yeah, no, I actually, to tell you the truth, back in the day, that's exactly what I did. I would, I used to just use another one I have is S date, which is just short date, which is like 2010, 03, 04. Um, and yeah, if it's anything that needs to be sorted by date, that's how I name it. And that makes it very easy to sort. You know, uh, talking about text expander, you've, uh, reminded me we have to pay the bills. We have a, a, a sponsor, um, our, oh, our sponsor, love them. Yeah. Our sponsor oh, is on the one. iPhone, using it on the iPhone, man, it'll change your game. Yeah. You yeah. want to talk about that? How do you use text expander on the iPhone? Oh, I, I wish I, you know, I'm going to write this up, but it's, I, so my, te- my workflow rely on the iPhone relies very heavily on simple note, you know, which, which syncs all my text files relies very heavily on PaySpot, which is basically a multi clipboard, the missing multiple clipboard for the iPhone. You've got to use. PasteBot. I, I'm a huge PaySpot fan. It's mind blowingly yeah. great. And then what I do is like, I, at first I didn't get text expander on the iPhone just cause so few apps at first would use it, but simple note uses it. So now Imagine this. I don't know if you guys have used Simple Note, but you pop open the app and you see a list of all your files. You hit a little plus sign and that creates a new document. And if I type IBZD, those letters, it goes bloop. And now it says IBZ, which stands for inbox zero, draft, right? Yeah. Dash. That's where the cursor sure. is. Dash. And then the, 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 the date stamp. And now I know, so basically I hit, I hit four letters and now I know what project this is for, inbox zero. I know that uh, what kind of work it is. It's a draft and I know exactly when I created the file and then the cursor is focal at the point where I could type in something that's unique about it. So I have another one that's typing the letter N three times, N, N, N. And when I type the letter N three times, it goes note, space, cursor, and then the date. So it's a way to instantly create a unique note. And then later on, I can rename it when I'm back on my Mac. But it's a way to very quickly name something uh, uniquely. Uh, I do that. I do Markdown. MDLA is a Markdown link that, that turns anything in the clipboard into a Markdown link. 
Um, I have one that turns creates an URL that lets me uh, send something straight to OmniFocus using their API on the iPhone. Like once you start getting this, um, and I'm, I'm not compensated for this. <laughs> I just happen to love Gene. Yeah. I love Text Expander. Uh, it's it, it, it's changed everything for me on the iPhone. That 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 you know the having the pasteboard using PasteBot because PasteBot also lets you, as you know, lets you send uh, clipboards between your Mac and your iPhone. Uh, I, I couldn't use my iPhone without Text Expander at this point. You know, and it's amazing. Text Expander on the iPhone is the only app that I know of that is called by other apps. Yeah, it's really interesting. There's there's two apps that blow my mind on the iPhone, and, and one of them is Text Expander, the other is, is One Password. One Password is doing some kind of foo with getting around Apple stuff that I don't understand. But no, it's it's a brilliant. It's it, I really recommend it. And they also uh, have Text Expander 3 getting ready to come out. I don't know if you're aware or not, but they've got a big upgrade planted for Text Expander on the Mac. And uh, Jane, Gene has told us that uh, anyone buying the new version, I'm sorry, the current version, Text Expander 2, is going to get the free upgrade to version 3. Um, I've been playing with version 3 a little bit, and it looks really good. Uh, oh, is there, is there like a beta? Yeah, yeah. Is it on the site? Uh, no. No. no you got to know somebody, I, Merlin, but I bet you could get in. I know, Gene. Gene and I are friends. I'm, We're pals. I'm sure. I can't believe she's excluded me from this. I'm going to have to talk uh, to I think the reason I have is more that I begged and pleaded at Macworld. I'm like, yeah. please, please. I, I use snippets for everything. I do OmniFocus entries with snippets. I do uh, numbers entries, names and addresses, HTML snippets. I also use Markdown for all my posts to Max Sparky, so I use some snippets I've created for that. I mean, OmniFocus. I do one like I do one called HHR. I do a lot of horizontal rules, which John Gruber hates. But I type HHR, and that creates five asterisks and a new line, like in, in uh, anywhere I am. And and again, this will change your game if you start doing Markdown and Text Expander. Now, when you're typing in a field somewhere, like in a text area, it's it's so much faster. It's crazy. And also, just you know what else? Like things like I misspell my name all the time. Melrin. I always type Melrin, and so I made that a correction. And now it just fixes that, and I, I don't look like I'm an idiot. Yeah, it's not good to send out an email if you don't get your own name right. <laughs> doesn't build credibility. Yeah. Well, I, I just find uh, Text Expander really useful for everything. I have started using Notational Velocity and um, Simple Note f- on, on my iPhone, and I actually was able to write a blog post on my phone. I've never done that before. Uh, but mm-hmm. using that workflow, it's really easy. I mean, you write it, you get back to your Mac, it's on Notational Velocity, it's already synced up. It's written in Markdown. You copy it over to Squarespace and hit post. I was really impressed. That's, that's funny you should say that. I just did that for the first time, too. I could never have imagined trying to write a blog post without Text Expander and PasteBot. And now, because PasteBot, what's great is, if, you know, and I'm not saying this is a Text Expander uh, ad, but what, what I love about it is you, like, you copy something and you go to t- PasteBot. And you don't even have to hit anything. It just grabs the clipboard. So if you just keep, I keep PasteBot in my dock. And I just keep jumping down there. And then you've got all this stuff that's in there. You can do stuff to it. You can, like, quote it in HTML. But the text expander to me is, is I wish that were in everything. I just love it. Well, um, once again, I just want to thank uh, Smile on Mac for sponsoring the podcast. It makes it possible for us to bring this uh, content out, and we really appreciate it. And I'm a big fan of Text Expander. And go ahead to the website at smileonmac.com and get ready for Text Expander 3, which I think is going to just raise the game a new, whole new level. Now, Merlin, uh, how do you do your blog posts? Um, in addition, to, do you do everything in TextMate, or do you write them in the web? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I, um, I. Uh, so what I'll do is normally the way it starts is I, I have. I'll tell you another tip. So you're using Simple Note. Yeah. This is this is like a, like one of my little dumb tips. But um, if I have these files, I call running files. Where that could be something like something funny I want to say on Twitter. It could be a book I want to read. You know what I mean? You have those kinds of files that are like running. 
uh, what I do is when I name those, this is going to sound really stupid, but it totally works. At the end of the file name, um, in brackets, I give it a certain number of the letter Q, right? So if it's, if it's a pretty not that important list, I'll call it QQQ. If it's like one of my like, you know, pretty important ones, it'll be four Qs. And if it's like one of my like super duper important, like, you know, um, well, it's not important, but like, like, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of an example of one. Oh, like the 43 folders post ideas. And why do I do that? Well, if I'm typing in the field in simple note and I go QQQ, there's no word QQQ. It automatically pulls up just those like 10 items. I t- and, and Q, of course, is right where your thumb is on the, on the keyboard. I type another Q and that pulls that list down. Are you following where I'm going with yeah, this? Yeah, that makes sense. It's, cr- it's a crazy fast way to get into stuff like that. So the way my workflow works is I'll be walking around the streets of San Francisco and I'll go, hey, I should write this thing. And I'll either like write it as one line in simple note just to remember and I name it. I name it 43FP. And I'll know what that means, 43 folders post and a date stamp. And then I'll say, oh, I should write about how habits are like the Jerry Seinfeld sketch. Or I'll put it in a running file, you know, called. And then when I get back, I'll, I'll start drafting it, usually in TextMate. And I do that all in Markdown. Um, I, uh, for 43 folders, I use Drupal. The thing I post on much more now is my personal blog, Kung Fu Grip, which is a Tumblr. Um, but yeah, I write it all. I write it all in TextMate. And you know what else I use? I, I'm on Firefox. And there's this really neat, you know, any Cocoa app will let you edit anything in TextMate. I know you, you probably know this, but if you're in, in pretty much anything, if you hit command enter, it'll take that text the, 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 in wherever you're working and let you uh, edit it in TextMate. So TextMate becomes this thing that you'd use for everything in my case. And so, yeah, I have that in, um, in Firefox as well. So it basically, there's a little button that says edit at the bottom of every text area. And I hit that if I want to edit the post. I don't know if that makes sense without looking at no, it. No, it makes yep, sense. All, so it's a, essentially made, an external yeah. editor for your for your post. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these have been around in you know in Unix for a long time, but uh, on Macs, you know, and, and this is where, what we're identifying though, I think, is a pattern, which is, in my mind anyway, is you know, don't don't obsess over the systems. Like, really figure out a few tools that are core, and then just use them for everything. You know, people do this in Unix. Like, you get your vim, your vi file, like exactly how you want, or your bash profile, and I really think that's a healthy thing to do. You know, when, when you meet a great carpenter, you know, he or she's not carrying around 45 different hammers that they're trying out. They got the one hammer and then they replace it when they need to. Uh, and then for me, the text mate, my God, those bundles are so powerful. Yeah, I should look into that. I, I think what I use in the place of text mate in that similar regard, though, and this is from someone who's not as much of a coder as you, is I use write room sometimes when I want to just write. Mm-hmm. It just opens a screen. It gives me that old comfortable Apple II green text on black screen. And I like yeah, totally. I like working in there. And then I I just select and copy it and paste it into Scrivener to whatever I was working on. And I do that. You know, once you know in a what while. else? There's one other thing I do, and and you can do this a ton of different ways. But I I really 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 recommend that on your Mac you have multiple clipboards. So there's a million different ways to do this. Like Keyboard Maestro, I think is one way. I still use it. I still do this all in in, in Quicksilver. I have the last 200 pasteboards from Quicksilver. Uh, the last 200 things that I pasted are in my uh, are, in, are in Quicksilver, and I can basically hit a key command and start incrementally searching, and I can find anything that I've pasted in the last basically two days. And on the face of it, that might sound not that useful, but it would blow your mind how useful it is, um, because I can just very quickly. In my case, I do Command Option Shift Space Bar, and that pulls up the last 200 things that I've pasted. And it's it's just when you're blogging and stuff. 
You know, like think about like when you want to blog something, you almost always need to clip two or three different things. It makes it so fast yeah. to do that. I use a similar workflow in LaunchBar. They have a clipboard history setting. I love LaunchBar. Yeah. That LaunchBar 5 is mind-blowing. Yeah. It's such a great app. Now, do you we use, actually did a whole um, show on that. Yeah, LaunchBar and Quicksilver differently. Do you use them interchangeably at the same time? How do you manage that? I'm, I'm uh, oh God, Quicksilver is like an old incontinent dog. Huh. It's You just still love. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I'm just enjoying it. Again, and like that incontinent dog, I'm enjoying it while I can. I launch bar at this point is far, far, far the superior app just because it's so tight. It's so fast, but you know, it, it doesn't have the triggers and I, I haven't, it doesn't, does, does it append to files? Last time I looked, it didn't append to files. You know, I think there's somebody's figured out a way to do it because it does allow you to run I, scripts, but it's going to be kind of kludgy. I, when I, I opened up, when I opened up, well, God, Quicksilver is nothing but a kludge. I mean, you know, Alcor will tell you it's a huge kludge. Um, but the, um, but the thing I, I mean, I opened up, what I should say is I started on Launch Bar before Quicksilver. Um, Quicksilver was just like such a, such an amazing, mysterious piece of magic to me. And it's still, I just can't imagine using a Mac without Quicksilver at this point. But I, you know what? It's been really screwy. It got, you know, every time a new release of something on the Mac comes out, I'm like, that's it. This is going to be it. It's really broken. Um, and I opened up Launch Bar 5 when it first came out, and I was like, this is a mind-blowingly great piece of software. It's so well done, and it's so fast. And if it weren't for just a couple things that I haven't, I haven't had the time to kind of move over, you know, it wouldn't be that hard. It's just that I, I've learned not to move too much furniture when you're in the middle of a big party. So <laughs> writing a book, I don't want to, you know, but, uh, no, I, 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 if you're starting out right now and you're not already just addicted to Quicksilver, I would absolutely use launch bar. Is that what you use Katie? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big launch bar fan. I used Quicksilver for a while and then, you know, kind of when it, it started to slip in terms of development, made the switch pretty quickly. It's very mysterious. I go and look at the plugins page and most of my plugins are like from 2006. <laughs> Yeah, I was a big launch. I'm sorry, I was a big Quicksilver user. I even did some screencasts on it and everything, but I was having stability problems, and you know, I just can't deal with that. So, it's, if your catalog's too big, like if I throw my Dropbox, one problem is Dropbox doesn't handle things like uh, packages and sparse bundles right. very well. It thinks it's a folder, which is crazy making. God, when they when they let you have secure sparse bundles on Dropbox, game over. When you can have basically your entire Dropbox be one sparse bundle, that's actually really secure. That's going to be giant, but that's the problem is I would throw my Dropbox at it and it would find, you know, something dot C or something dot TIFF because it was inside of a application package. And that the thing, why do I say that? Because that really bogs your catalog down. It's constantly rescanning all that junk and your catalog just becomes untenable in, in Quicksilver. Well, that may have been the issue, but I, I essentially cut the cord and moved on to launch bar yeah, and about a year and a half ago. I really like it, but I do miss some functions like the append to text files was something I used to use in Quicksilver and I never got that working. Well, and th for me though, it's that it's a combination is I've have these, what, probably 50, uh, key combinations. I couldn't tell you what any of them are. It's just all muscle memory, but uh, Oh, what uh, command option ship five, like takes whatever is in the clipboard and appends it to like uh, something I might want to do as a list on my five site. I mean, that's, that is a piece of foo that is like irreplaceable to me. And that's two things I would have to figure out. I have to figure out how to do the appending. Um, actually, you know, keyboard is a keyboard maestro. Keyboard maestro just had an update that is really, really nice. Gruber, uh, pointed to it. Um, keyboard maestro is a fantastic app to begin with because you can add key, key assignments to all kinds of different stuff. But now it's got all these different things where you can actually control your Mac from your iPhone using keyboard maestro. 
it's really an app worth looking at if you need some automation. Yeah, I've got a review uh, half written for Keyboard Maestro. It's going to post probably. Do, do you like what do you use it for? Out of curiosity, uh, you know, it, it kind of is a supplement to me. I'm a big automation guy, as you can tell. I mean, I have Hazel sure. scripts running. I like Launchbar. I'm I'm an Apple. It's less to think yeah. about. Like, why would you ever want to think about watering plants? Again? Yeah. Like, why would you ever want to think about fire? Yeah, and I think um, you know. Uh, Keyboard Maestro kind of fits in there, but it, it it's a little more interesting because I think it's more uh, you can go in between apps and you can you know it does more of a workflow you know uh, soup to nuts kind of workflow. Mm-hmm. Um, it really is a replacement if you don't want to learn Apple Script in a lot of ways because it's a lot of stuff you could do with an Apple Script if you wanted to spend the time developing it, but you just set it up with a few clicks in Keyboard Maestro, and that's kind of where I find myself using it. You know, going and grabbing a file, opening an app, putting it in the app, you know, doing you know uh, doing some kind of process to it, you know, getting me through that stuff that normally would take three or four clicks there's there's another app that 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 that, that is that I, that really appeals to me you know i sometimes think oh gosh i don't want to you know spend a lot of time blah 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 thinking about this but i i totally agree with you you know what i can i just say one pattern also is setting aside some time periodically for these things there's certain kinds of things that i call and this is kind of a meta thing but um i call them mosquito tasks you know and it's why for example like i don't keep a giant list of incredibly like you know like bug fix kind of things that's not a task for me that's in a list then I, the task is go work on the list, you know, do, do you follow? Um, and I think with that, with that kind of stuff, I mean, God, just as much of that as you can automate, but set aside time, like every, like an hour a week to work on that. And then just like go, I have, you know what? I actually have a project in OmniFocus called Bugs Me. And like every time there's something I come across that hangs me up for a second, I just throw it at Bugs Me. And then when I have time, I go through and I like give those contexts. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't stop what I'm doing, right? No. There's one other app I wanted to mention because I just discovered it. You know, I, I was I, we recently were cleaning out our garage and I found my old uh, Griffin. Um, it's called PowerMate. Mm-hmm. It's like a, that big giant button, USB giant button. Yeah. It, you know what I'm talking about? It's like a, it looks, it's really cool. It's like this big button that turns and you can do stuff with it. There is an app, a free app that Griffin puts out, and I'm struggling to find it right now. But it's like the coolest automation app ever. I think you would really, really like it. It's going to drive me crazy that I can't find this. I'm intrigued now. Uh, oh, man. What is it called? Oh, my gosh. Maybe under support. Um, and and oh, it's driving me crazy. I don't know the name of this app. But basically, it, it's, it's a lot. It's like a, it's like a really cooler, easier to use version of Automator. Um, and you know how, for example, in Text Expander, they recently added that ability to do things like run a shell script? Yeah. It's it's like you snap these pieces together. I've got to find this app. You snap these pieces together, do all this amazing functionality. It's kind of like your love of Hazel, where you can have it like watch for things to happen. So what's an example? There was one, um, you know, um, when this kind of thing happens, like, uh, you know, look, for example, if you've got a Kindle, there's a way that you can like hook it up so that when it notices that drive, it automatically pulls down an RSS feed and turns it into a document on Kindle. You can do all kinds of things that say watch for this kind of activity and then and then do this functionality. Oh, here we go. Software downloads. I bet I can find it. What is it called? You're going to love me so much. Oh, I cannot find the name of this thing. That's going to drive me crazy. I will find out. Maybe while you guys are <laughs> talking at the end. I'll no, no or, or just send it to me. We'll put it in the show notes. But, you know. iMate? Is it iMate? One point about, though, the, you know, bugs me list, I think from my standpoint, when I have one of those lists, I only take on one of those issues at a time. And then I try not to try to take on another one until I've incorporated Mm -hmm. whatever I fixed last into the system. If you do too much Hmm. of it at once, I find that I end up not using any of it. So I just try to take one little problem. Give me an example. Give me an example of that. Uh, You know, for instance, um, uh, sizing pictures for a a blog posting. 
you know, oh, you know, and I had okay. this thing where I was going through all these steps of loading it and everything. So then I built a service for it, and now I've customized the service. I'm putting some Apple scripts so I can pick which format and what's you know which width and everything. Once I get that done and I incorporate that in my workflow, so now I have a picture. I right click it, you know, run my service. I'm done. Okay, I've got that bugs me figured out. Okay, so what's the next one? And then that's that's the way I do it. T- totally. And, you know, I think this is, it's a shame that Danny O'Brien's life hack stuff, and I, I certainly had some, at least small role in this. I don't think I'm the worst offender by a long shot, but it's a shame that the life hack stuff came to mean like Zen ways to wash your dishes. Like that, it's a, sh- it's a shame because what Danny was really saying, if you go listen, like look at his original life hacks talk, what he's really saying is that a life hack ultimately is like where a, a, a hyper productive geek, you know, would rather write a Perl script that takes 10 minutes than do, you know, do something that, you know, it might only take you one minute to do it, to do this thing, but you're going to have to do it for the rest of your life. One minute over and over and over. And I think that's what you're describing is that to me is the mindfulness of life hacks is discovering something where you could automate it and then not spending all day on it, but do it once, you know, there's all like write a little shell script. There's all kinds of stuff. Like for example, I picked up this thing where like, um, I, I adapted somebody else's script where in TextMate, if I type a string and then select it and hit a key command, it pulls in the, the first Wikipedia entry that matches that. Or, you know, Gruber wrote one that'll pull in the I feel lucky link. It's a little Perl script that just does nothing but pull in the I feel lucky link for a string. And like doing that once, <laughs> you know what I mean? From now on, you're never going to have to go change and go to Google and do a search and copy the URL and you know what I mean? That's going to save you. It's like, you know how text expander remembers how many like minutes of time you saved. That's going to save you days of your life, not having to do that. Yeah, And I'd like to say it's just for the productivity part of it. It's just because I'm a geek and I like to do that stuff too, but, <laughs> but it is, it's satisfying, you know, as you get custom working on it. And it's funny because some people will look over my shoulder and see me working on my computer and they're scratching their head. I mean, I've had Apple geniuses do the same thing. Like, how are you doing this? You know, how is this happening? And, you know, it's just my own magic. I've put together on a thing over a course of years of adding one little thing at a time. And it's great. And and it's also, it's like, you know, they say Unix, they talk about Unix as, you know, being like uh, small pieces loosely joined. And and I think that's kind of what the game is, is, is again, I mean, we talked about this with Mac apps and how so many of our favorite OS X apps do one thing well and then remove, mainly focus on not doing crufty things. I think your workflow can be like that too. You know, this is a very Unix-y idea is you come up with like a little thing that does this one thing, but then interacts well with other apps and you can pipe that stuff together. You know, that, that's the promise of Automator. I, Automator to me is like, it's not geeky enough for a geek and it's not easy enough to use for a civilian. But, you know, something like Hazel, you can do some, if you hook Hazel up with some stuff, that's incredibly powerful. Yeah. Well, so, and I, I think Automator is pretty good too, though. I think if you spend a little bit of time, it's not that hard to get into that. Well, you know what though? It's taxonomically proxy, P-R-O-X-I. Look it up. Yeah. Go, go search for P-R-O-X-I. Um, that is the name of the app that I was mentioning earlier. Um, is that where it is? Yeah, proxy. Yeah. Um, what was I saying? <laughs> Sorry, I got I think, so excited. I think about I interrupted proxy. Katie. Katie, what were you going to say? Well, no, I was just going to say uh, automator and, and shell scripting and Perl scripting and doing little Apple scripts is is great. But is there really a um, you know more for perhaps not so much the novice user? Let's call them the normal Mac user who yeah. wants to get more geeky and who wants to get more productive into this stuff. Uh, a lot of this can seem overwhelming. So where where totally. do you start? I mean, do you have any um, any resources that you like? You know, video or audio or books or mm-hmm. where where would you that's send a really somebody? really good? That's such a good question. Um, well, you know, of course I'm going to give you that annoying kind of Zen guy answer. Well, it starts with reality. 
Okay. Is, is, you know, I think part of being a knowledge worker that makes one part of being a knowledge worker that makes it so complicated is that unlike a lot of jobs, our job exists to be self-defined. Really, I mean, the reason that you're hired for, for whatever you do as a knowledge worker is that you're good at defining problems. I mean, that's the first part of the definition, Peter Drucker's definition of a knowledge worker is somebody that identifies what the task is. So the problem is that's fractal, or at least, you know, kind of self-referential. You have to define your job throughout the day. Um, and I think if you accept and embrace that chaos, you start also then discovering that you need to be very mindful and self-aware about where the little bits of friction are. Um, but it, when I say mindful, I really mean there is a middle path. You don't want to like ignore something that's a huge hangup for you, but you also don't want to spend all day working on it. And I think it starts by saying, well, you know, can I just say the first thing, if you're talking about like a, not a novice, but a, any level user is whether start with a piece of paper, like don't even worry about an application. And every time you go, ah, oh, that really annoys me, write it down. Even if it seems, you know, start that ubiquitous capture habit. And, and to me, that, for me, that becomes something like the bugs me list. I might not do everything on there, but I know where it goes if it occurs to me. And then I can say, you know what, I'm going to take the time to go, you know, break down some of these big rocks every once in a while. Um, and then, you know, what's neat is, oh, gosh, all, every, every application that, that I love, you know, it feels like every, well, <laughs> except for Adobe apps, but I don't love those, so that doesn't count. They get better. They get better all the time, and they get easier to use. I'm, right now, I'm looking at a page for something called This Service, which is at wafflesoftware.net, but just do a, ser- a search for This Service. You know, services are this thing in OS X, uh, I'm just giving this to you as an example. It's this thing in OS X that people don't really know so much, like normal users, but there's these things that are available to you in any application that bring Finder and application functionality to different places. And all this service is basically is it's a wrapper that turns any kind of a script, could be Ruby one-liner, could be Perl, whatever, into a service. Like, why is that germane? Well, I don't need to know Ruby to use a Ruby one-liner. I don't need to know... You know, if you go and we're actually, it's probably written in C, but if you go and look at a bunch of the stuff that's in services right now, they're just little scripts, you know, like capitalize this, put this into sentence case. Now, something like this service, you go and you can download these ones other people have made. You don't have to write a Perl script, but you can leverage the power of Perl just by going and downloading it. Do you know what I mean? And so I think rather than, you know, I think there's a certain amount of stuff you need to learn to be competent technically, but you don't have to learn everything. And, and the same kind of problem with Unix, the same kind of problem with Photoshop, the same kind of problem with all of this stuff is in, until you develop enough expertise, it's hard to know how much expertise you need. And so you could spend all day trying to learn about this stuff. Well, you know, in Photoshop, you really only need to learn like five or six things. In Unix, you can get started if you know 10 commands. You don't need to know, you don't need to know trough. You need to know CP. You know what I mean? And you need to know what, what a pipe is. And I think for anybody who wants to get better at this stuff, it starts with understanding what problem you want to solve capturing that and then applying the right amount of time, technology and attention to, to giving a, getting a, a friction free solution. Um, as far as resources, stuff like Lifehacker is way beyond a mixed blessing to me. I mean, it's not my favorite. I love Gina Trapani more than anything in the world, but I, a site like Lifehacker is, has so much great information. I, I go and I Google for, for stuff like you're talking about, like, how do I go do this thing? How do I, create a URL that lets me send an SMS through Google voice. And invariably I end up at Lifehacker. but you know, Lifehacker to me becomes like a reference library. Like I would not want to read every reference book the minute that it's published and people who sit there and read 12 tips a day, you know, every day, 
it's fun. And David, that seems kind of like your, your, your wheelhouse. You, you enjoy like learning these new things, right? Yeah. It's, that's my problem sometimes. Where do you draw the line? Yeah. How do you, how do you know when you have enough or do you ever feel like you get overwhelmed with that? Well, you know, I, I don't read everything. I, we did a show on RSS and one of my points was you have to go on a data diet. You pick the two or three feeds in the various subject matters relevant to your life and stick mm-hmm. with those. I mean, I only have as much of a big Mac geek I am. I only have three Mac feeds that I follow and. You follow Gruber and you're going to learn a lot. About yeah, it. I do <laughs> Gruber and Macworld and a couple and a couple friends who have. You know, I wish Macworld. Yeah, Macworld's volume is really high. Yeah. Macworld's writing is uniformly so good, yeah. but their volume is high. And they, at least last time I looked, they would only do partial feeds, which drives me crazy. Yeah. Well, the way I do it is essentially I. I there's a great app on the iPhone um, called Reader with two E's. It's yep. great. That's mine. Oh, you use that one? Yeah. I use I use three readers actually. Yeah. I like reader I like the double E reader best because if it's posting to other places. Yeah, it's very easy to share it or put it to Instapaper. So I well, and do you ever do you ever notice that when you send it to Instapaper, you can still keep reading while it's sending? Yeah, it's just it, it's a brilliant and app. great brilliant. UI too. I just like the way they did the UI. It's not noisy, but so mm-hmm. so I go through and I I triage on the phone, and so I go through mm-hmm. them and zip through them, and like that's that's like the email. You check that once a day. You don't go you don't spend the whole day seeing what's new and. And I'm very. It's very easy for me just to to star it, uh, to send it to Insta paper, or just to mark it as read, and I don't go any further with it. But with the life hacker feed, I don't I don't read many of them. But the ones I star, I usually come back to and read. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll make a recommendation that's not specific to Max, but I think it's a tremendous program. Uh, Sean Inman, uh, gosh, one of the great early like making JavaScript work on the web web developers. Uh, he's probably best known for for writing Mint. Uh, not not the financial app, but the app that does stats. Yeah, the Google. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, have you guys talked about Fever? You, you know, we've we've talked about it, but neither one of us have used it. So we. I bought it the day it came out, and um, I don't I don't use it a lot because I don't need to use it a lot. Because here's what Fever does, and to your to your point and problem. Um, long story short, Fever understands that there's really two kinds of feeds for most people. Uh, there are the feeds of like the, the people I really want to read. Like I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't want to miss a daring fireball link. You know, even if it's about the Yankees, I just like want to see that. Um, but Lifehacker, on the other hand, it's influential and high volume, so it's interesting to know what Lifehacker links to. But I, you'd be a crazy person to read that every day. So you have two different piles. What's it called? It's called Kindling. And sparks. So kindling, I want to get the nomenclature right. But anyway, you have one pile that's like my friends. These are the 15 feeds I can't miss. And basically you read those. But then you can have this other pile where you put, if you want to put freaking tech crunch, dig, whatever, you know, crappy high volume, sorry, not crappy, uh, high, high volume tech blah, <laughs> you want, no, 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 uh, tech crunch is fantastic. Um, <laughs> if you, you throw all that in this giant folder and you don't, you can read it anytime, but it mainly exercises influence on the titular fever. Cause what it does is you say, show me all of the links from the last, whatever, show me the last week's worth of links last month's worth of links, show me what the most popular links in my reader were. So starting with my friends, so Andy Bayo and John Gruber linked to this. And then I see also that TechCrunch and Lifehacker linked to this thing. Do you follow where I'm going yeah. with this? So it gives you the influence of these shovel blogs without you having to actually read them. And so you basically get this little, so if you go away for a couple of weeks and you don't want to have to come back and see that giant, this number unread, um, well, first of all, side note, this is a great use of tags in, in, uh, in Google Reader is, is tagging the ones that you just can't miss. Yeah. 
and diving straight into those. So basically, you come back from vacation, you can read the 200, you know, entries that you don't want to miss. You can skip the 7,000 entries you could miss and fever tells you what you miss. Nice. Here's the, here's like the most important stories. And the reason they call it fever is it shows you based on like a 98.6 and higher. So it's, it's a really, I should give you a screen grab of it. It's, it's a really neat app and I love it because it's not perfect and it's certainly not perfect as a reader, although it's, it's very polished as a reader. What's amazing about it is that it, it, it does, there's a certain kind of thinking I don't want to have to do and it does that for me. I don't have to just go, oh, I've seen this thing 10 places, right? If I rely on my filters and people that I really respect and just read their stuff, I won't see it 10 times. But then if there is some giant thing I should know about it, there's a funny meme or whatever, it's right there for me. Well, I'm going to look into it. I've got a good friend who uses it and I've just not had time, you know, uh, yeah. but uh, and to be honest, I really don't have very many feeds I follow. So maybe this would be not necessary for me, but, uh, I like the idea of being able to, to accumulate information from other feeds that I'm not, not currently following. Well, Merlin, you know, uh, we're running out of time, so we're going to have to probably wrap it up, but I just wanted to Aww. thank you so much for, uh, being our first, uh, guest on this new type of show. Where we're going to talk about workflows. Um, I was so pleased that uh, you were excited to do it because I'm a big fan of the stuff you write. And uh, tell us a little bit about your book. Oh, it's not done. Uh, it's a book called Inbox Zero, and uh, it is it's it is about email, but it's really kind of about email as a controlling metaphor for what can go well and poorly uh, based on how we use it. Uh, and, and really, it's a book about knowledge workers, and I, I use that term very broadly. And it's really – it's about people who have to define their own job and deal with wildly differing expectations um, and constrained resources and how that's changed over the years and the kinds of patterns that we can apply – uh, to get better at that, to do high-quality work that we love and uh, spend less time fussing. I can't wait to read it. Do you have any idea when it's going to publish? Or? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, think it's, I think at this point, uh, just because I've been so slow at getting it done, I think it's going to be early next year. It might be this year, but I think it's probably going to be early next year. I'm not really sure. I need to get a finished draft of it done pretty soon. But uh, yeah, I think it'll be good. And I, I'm, I'm kind of leaning toward keeping it shorter, I think. At first, I was going to have it be really long, but I, uh, I was talking to Jeffrey Zeldman, and, and uh, we agreed that it should be a book that you could read on a flight from New York to L.A. <laughs> and then get off the plane and feel like changing in your life. <laughs> well, that makes some sense. And, you know, I follow a lot. I follow you and I follow some of the other um, people who write about, you know, creative things. And I've always felt that attorneys are one of the most creative uh, professions out there. And, and mm -hmm. in fact, most of the good attorneys you meet all are artists in one way or another. They've been musicians or painters or creative writers or something. I think that's just a part of the business. And for me, uh, all these things you guys are talking about completely apply to my day-to-day -day life. And, and just looking at around me, I think it applies to a lot of people. It's not just someone who spends their day in Photoshop um, mm. or or in Xcode. It's, it's totally true. It's you know you're you're dead right. And I, I think it's unfortunate that creativity, first of all, has such an association with a freaking muse. You know, it, really, any kind of work is ultimately work. It's and any kind of job can be creative if you if you have to kind of pull together two things that weren't related before, or if you have to make a decision about about something that's really abstract. It's absolutely creative work. And, and it, if you, if you don't think of it as creative work, you really, you really sell yourself short because there's always opportunities to, to not just do great work, but to kind of figure out who you are too as you're going through that process, which sounds like hippie BS, but really, it, you know, we're ultimately going to not have that long on the planet and to really feel engaged with that work and to feel like you're actually making something you really care a lot about. I mean, boy, there's just nothing better in this world. And uh, talking about hippie BS, I think one of the single best links you have ever posted was that Seth Godin lizard brain video. 
<laughs> Isn't that a great video? I, I don't, I'm going to put the, the link in the show notes. I, I just, anybody who's listening to this, I would recommend to go watch it. I, as soon as I saw that, I was sending that link out to everyone in my life that I thought could use that little speech. It was just great. Well, I'm going to do something I very seldom do, which is pimp something that I've done. Um, I, uh, you should really, really listen to an interview I did with him on 43 folders. There's a, I think it's still on, yeah, it's on the homepage, but basically it's an interview for, with him about, about that book. Cause I, I think it's one of my favorite things uh, I've done, uh, interview wise anyway, cause he really gets into that and he talks about basically, you know, I'm sure you've probably heard of this book, this book, uh, the war of art by Stephen Pressfield, uh, which a lot of that is kind of based on, which is just this idea that it's like the closer that we get to this thing that we really want to be doing, the more barriers we create for ourselves. And like, once you become aware of the lizard brain, which is just this notion of a voice in your head that kind of tries to protect you from being eaten by bears. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, you know, it's, it's, it is, you know, in a neuroscience standpoint, it is kind of, there's a vestigial part of your brain that does a certain, like part of the limbic system that does thinking that you don't even think about. And you have all this anxiety about trying things. And uh, I'm sorry, I, I took your, your, your story away, but I, I would, I agree that video is fantastic and don't miss that interview though. Because Seth really goes into nice detail about it. Yeah, I mean, just to summarize, what he, his point is that when you listen to your lizard brain, you're actually hurting yourself in the modern world. And it was a great video. I think I would recommend it to anyone. It's like drinking salt water. Like you seem like you're quenching your thirst, but you're actually making it twice as bad. Yeah. Well, Merlin, uh, people can find you at MerlinMan.com. Yep. Yep. And uh, I want to thank you once again for coming by. I really appreciate it. And uh, you were so gracious to me at MacWorld and. Uh, I learned quite a bit. As much of an omni-focused nerd as, as I am, <laughs> I enjoyed watching you uh, drive it a little bit at the Omni booth, and that was one of the highlights for my trip this year to MacWorld. Yeah, you and, guys have uh, been a little nerdier than I am, so I've kind of been just sitting back and uh, <laughs> trying to take this well, all I, in. I'm still here. When, so you're, when you're prepared to and you've rested, I really hope you'll have me back. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this, and I'd love to talk more, and um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go listen to your show. Yeah, Thank we you. appreciate it. And um I think um, we're going to put a lot of this in the show notes because I think a lot of people kind of like me are just taking bits and pieces of this in and, and will need to go and, and explore on their own. Well, it's, it's been a pleasure. I, I, I thank you very much for, for having me on. Thanks, Marlon. Thank you. Well, that's going to wrap up a marathon episode of the Mac Power Users podcast. Our very special thanks to Merlin Mann for joining us in our first ever Workflows episode. Um, if this is something that you like, we're really interested to hear your feedback. Please drop us a line, feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. Um, if we get some good response, we're going to try to do this type of show every couple of months with people who uh, use their Macs in interesting ways so that you can get some different perspectives from other Mac Power users. We obviously talked about a lot today, and I think my brain is going to explode with the geeky goodness. So I have tried to put links to everything we talked about in the show notes. You can find those over at www.macpowerusers.com. If I've missed anything, drop us a comment, and we'll try to get those updated. Lastly, you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash macpowerusers. Our next episode, we're going to be back to normal, and we are going to be talking about wireless networking. So we will see you next time.